Hey, Hepcats, this is Reggie Watts, and you're listening to CHLY. Vitaju vas vsih šenovni radio suhači na radio programu Naš holos, radio ukrajinskoho korenja. Z vami Pavlina Makori, djakuju što rišale prebuti zimnoju nastupnu hodinu. Stay tuned now for a two-and-a-half-hour special edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. In addition to our usual programming, we'll be taking a close look at the protests in Ukraine, and many of them will be on topics that are fairly familiar to listeners of the usual segment uh, that airs at this time, that being alternative radio. Thank you for your patience and uh, for allowing me to bring you a bit of a broader perspective on these topics. And we will be talking about things like public radio. Uh, we'll be talking about civil disobedience as well. We'll be talking about the protests in Ukraine specifically. And we'll be speaking with a number of experts on the political scene, analysts and people on the ground in Ukraine, and also some new tunes created about the developments in Ukraine and for it. And we've got a song right now. This is uh, wasn't specifically created for the Euromaidan, which is what uh, the revolution is called right now. Uh, but it is a fairly recent recording as very contemporary uh, fusion group from Australia. It's called Bandura Fusion. Here they are now. They're called the Yellow Blue Bus. Here they are with a song very apropos for our topic for today. It is called Kozak.
and the Yellow Blue Bus from Adelaide, Australia, and Kozak. Welcome again to this special edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio with a look at the protests happening in Ukraine. There has been some media coverage, but not a lot, and not as much as most Ukrainians feel that there should be. And uh, so we're going to remedy that here a little bit on Nash Holis. We've got several speakers lined up to to talk as well as some new music. And up next is a local, fairly local, from Vancouver, a political analyst. Uh, he is an author of two novels, two spy thrillers set in Ukraine. And uh, his name is Myron Petriou. We know him uh, as Mirko. And uh, his two books are called Yaroslav's Treasure and Yaroslav's Revenge. Uh, Mirko is, uh, was also the president of the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, BC Provincial Council, and uh, has a hand in uh, many things going on in the Ukrainian community in the Lower Mainland. Uh, we have uh, had Mirko on our show many times in the Vancouver program, and he is joining us now here in, in, on our Nanaimo program. So, Vitayu Mirko, welcome. Thank you, Paulette. Now, um, you've been keeping a very close eye on um, on the developments in Ukraine. There are protests, uh, just for the um, benefit of listeners who are not familiar with what's going on. Uh, there are the protests are because the president has taken is trying to take the country in a direction that most people don't want, and that is away from the European as opposed to for the European Union. And this is exactly why Ukrainians are protesting protesting the streets. That is that pretty much sum it up, Mirko? Yeah, that pretty well sums it up. Uh, in fact, uh, President Yanukovych not only is, is not uh, or did not sign the association agreement with the EU, but is, uh, has every intention of uh, signing up with the customs union with Russia. So, so he's actually taking the, the, the exact opposite direction. Now, um, there is this, um, if you listen to media reports in the West, they talk about this fabled, uh, and I I use this word deliberately, fabled, east-west divide. And uh, there are some that really want, uh, are happy enough to go with the Russian with the Russian Union, uh, but the the protests, really the popular protests, the populist, um, are f- are want to go to Europe, and we've got tens of thousands of uh, protesters who are protesting to go to Europe, but yet you've got a few hundred uh, paid protesters wanting to go to to stay with Russia, and this is this is what um, what I've been reading. What's your take on that, Mirko? Is that pretty much accurate as well? That's reasonably accurate. Uh, in actual fact, the the pro-European protesters are, are, are in the hundreds of thousands. Mm. The, the pro-Russian ones uh, are, are a smaller number, although uh, they're they're not likely to protest. Uh, what we are seeing, though, is uh, is staged events. Uh, and I know that uh, you know, the other day we talked about information wars. Right. And uh, and and a lot of the staging is uh, is part of that information war. So so not everything that you see is real. So what do you mean? Can you give an example of what you mean by staged? Well, uh, a very fine example actually uh, was shown on CBC, but wasn't really commented on. Uh, you know, there was just basically a film clip, um, and this was on the uh, on the first of December. Uh, there was a major demonstration going on, and then there was a bit of a sideshow 
there was uh, an assault on the president's building, in other words, uh, the president's uh, administration building, and that assault showed, uh, believe it or not, a, a front-end loader, kind of a bulldozer, uh, trying to uh, attack a, a, a line of, uh, of riot police who surprisingly did not have their, their shields with them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. And, uh, and there was this, this major uh, violent confrontation that, in fact, was staged. What happened is that the, uh, the authorities... Uh, they pay thugs, <laughs> professional thugs, professional demonstrators, if you wish, to uh, to pretend to be uh, to be demonstrators and to stage the facts. Uh, in actual fact, there is now a film of of busloads of these people being uh, escorted by the riot police uh, to their positions. And obviously, a, a bulldozer can't go through the streets of a city without attracting attention. And yet, surprise, surprise, this. Uh, <laughs> This, this uh, front-end loader uh, <laughs> suddenly appears in front of the, the president's administration. So the whole thing was, was staged uh, as a provocation. So, so yeah, one has to be very careful when, uh, when one is reporting on, on these events. Now, there have been a lot of journalists that have been beaten up. Uh, yes, there have, uh, and a lot of civilians. Uh, in fact, uh, on the day that I'm talking about, which was the, the 1st of December, I think the count is... Is well over a hundred that were hospitalized. Wow! So uh, the um, the the journalists that are being beaten up, they're um, they're local. They're um, are they foreign? Uh, foreign journalists uh, have sustained injuries too. There was a, a photograph I saw of a, of a Danish journalist with uh, with a head wound. Now the president has actually come out and denounced the violence. He's denounced the violence. Uh, actually, he's speaking out uh, out of both sides of his mouth, which is, which is not very surprising. Uh, on the, on his website, he's denounced the violence. Uh, in other places, he 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 is supporting the police. Uh, and uh, surprisingly enough, today today he's in Beijing, so he's not even in Ukraine. Wow. Uh. This is Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM. We're talking with Mirko Petrio, a Vancouver author and political analyst on things Ukrainian. And we've just been talking about um, some of the protests, uh, things going behind the scenes of the protests. And um, now, Mirko, you had said earlier something about information wars. What, uh, what did you mean by information wars? Give us some examples. Well, that that is becoming a uh, a staple in uh, in modern warfare, uh, <laughs> whether it's uh, uh, you know military combat or other forms of uh, of warfare and subversion, uh, and that is uh, issuing misinformation, uh, knocking down websites, uh, usually referred to as DDoS attacks. Um, and uh, as, uh, as I mentioned uh, the other day, uh, you know, a fine example of that would have been the 2008 war between uh, Georgia and Russia, where days prior to the war, uh, various websites were knocked down, specifically uh, the website for the, uh, the Georgian government. Uh, and this is happening in, uh, in Ukraine right now, or was happening. Uh, several sites went down. Uh, even prior to all this, uh, you know, false sites were set up. 
there's a there's a Ukrainian newspaper called Ukrainska Pravda, which is an online newspaper. Well, surprisingly, a paper version showed up, uh, and of course, it was a it was a, a total falsification. There isn't any paper version of this newspaper, but a paper version was being was being handed out. Uh, basically, as a again, as as misinformation and uh, and as a provocation. So, so this propaganda, this is propaganda wars. Oh, very much propaganda wars. Exactly what it is. Um, you mentioned DDoS attacks, and this is not something that is new. Of course, this has been going on for ever, ever since the internet <laughs> happened, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Ukrainians discovered that they could uh, counteract the propaganda and also connect with each other and build, uh, you know, net- start to network, exchange information, and that is what led to the 2004 Orange Revolution. Very much so. Now, what is, can you do a comparison? What is the difference between, uh, I mean, there are, the similarities are, it's still Viktor Yanukovych that the people are protesting against. <laughs> and enough, yeah. yeah, that's nine years later. They're still protesting against corruption. These, and and uh, they're still wanting to, to go to join the European Union. But what, uh, those are the similarities. But uh, there are uh, a lot of differences uh, yes, there are. Uh, okay. Just uh, just for background, in 2004, the Orange Revolution was uh, or, or happened as a result of uh, falsified election results. Uh, these are presidential election results. And to make a long story short, it, it resulted in a third round of presidential elections, uh, which were uh, relatively clean and ended up with the presidency of, uh, of uh, Viktor Yushchenko. Now, uh, Yanukovych was the loser in that particular case. Uh, on the other hand, that particular uh, revolution, as, uh, as was called, which was uh, surprisingly peaceful, uh, nobody got killed, uh, you know, very minimum number of, of injuries, uh, darn close to zero. Uh, it had been prepared uh, months, if not a year, ahead of time. Uh, there was an, uh, an NGO organization called Pora. Uh, which were young people that were willing to stand up against uh, falsified elections. They were trained by the Einstein Institute in the U.S. and is it trained how to handle a um, a large crowd demonstration and how to oppose uh, riot police without resorting to violence and without. Uh, Allowing uh, violent acts to actually occur. So now, there's all science to that. So, so this was right. very well prepared in 2004. Uh, this year, uh, we have a situation where I, you know the the, the crowd and, and the demonstrators really weren't prepared for the turn of events. Uh, what we had was, in many ways, what I called uh, the perfect storm. On uh, November 23rd. Ukrainians all around the world commemorate uh, the Holodomor, which was the, the genocide of 1932-33, genocide by famine. Um, the next day, there was scheduled a, a demonstration in support of, of the European Union or the Association Agreement. And, and when it was scheduled, it was expected that that Association Agreement would be being signed. So it was a a demonstration in support, not demonstration against anything. Um, of course, in the last minute, uh, Yanukovych and his government make a U-turn, do not uh, say that they were not going to sign, and they did not sign the 
association agreement with the European Union, and uh, in fact uh, decided that they will be joining, will be trying to join the customs union with Russia. Well, so this this demonstration, which was very much a groundswell type of uh, type of event, uh, and wasn't designed or organized in a, in a matter that uh, you know as a as a confrontational demonstration uh suddenly does become a confrontational demonstration so so that lack of organization was definitely uh visible it was visible uh, early morning of uh, december 1st uh, 4 in the morning when the uh when the police uh attacked and uh you know and that was something that really wouldn't have happened had everything been organized properly but the police attack resulted in uh, you know dozens and dozens of uh, of injured and hospitalized now, um, so the difference is, uh, in 2004, they had uh, some advance warning and planning. There, it was election time. Now, this, there are no elections here. This was just um, uh, Yanukovych is in the middle of his term, and uh, it was just a, um, a policy that he was uh, trying to, uh, well, agreements he was trying to sign uh, in the course of, of his business. And so this is organic protest. Oh, very, very much groundswell yeah. and, and, yeah. and organic uh, which is which is actually part of, or was part of the problem. Now it has now morphed into a more political and more organized uh, action. Uh, but certainly at the very beginning, it was apolitical, very much apolitical. In fact, opposition uh, parties and, uh, and and candidates were discouraged from taking part uh, in the demonstration. Uh, that's no longer the case, by the way. So these, these things uh. changed uh, literally uh, from one day to another. Mm-hmm. But uh, but certainly uh, initially it was just just a groundswell um, demonstration, and and it has suffered as a result. So that's why uh, that's why the, the the change in tactic. Now the uh, the location of the protest right now is Kiev. Right now, uh, well, it it is Kiev and uh, and a lot of major cities in Ukraine. Okay, so it is spreading. Uh, yes, yes, okay. it is. Uh, okay. Now, the the big numbers are in KU and in for, and in fact, people are are taking a bus or taking trains and going to KU. So those those crowds uh, mm-hmm. had swollen, and by some estimates, uh, were were in, on the order of six hundred thousand. Wow! Yeah. Well, um, we are going to um, I'm going to let you go, and we'll bring you back um, a little bit later on in the, in um, our broadcast, um, hopefully, um, if that's possible. But I did want to uh, mention that that there, this is. I do want to find out if it's spreading because we've got people in Lviv who actually contribute to our program, uh, part of the Jewish um, U- the Ukrainian Jewish Heritage feature, and um, actually uh, Volodya, who is um, the project manager, was the one that had um, alerted. Me um, quite uh, quite early on, he really said, "You have to watch this," and um, he was quite troubled. He is in Lviv. The team that team is in Lviv, so we're going to hear from them um, uh, shortly after. We're just going to play a Ukrainian Jewish heritage feature uh, with Renata Hananets, and we will hear from her project manager, Volodya, after it's over. So, thank you very much, Mirko, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. I'll be by the phone. Thank okay. you. Okay, thanks, Mirko. Right. Bye bye. And we were speaking with Mirko Petrio, author and political analyst from Vancouver. And now, Ukrainian Jewish Heritage, hosted by Renata Hananets in cooperation with the Jewish Heritage Museum in Lviv, Ukraine. 
This special Nasholos feature is brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter Initiative based in Toronto, Ontario. This is Renata Hanenets at the Foyina Petrakova Scientific Center for Judaica and Jewish Art. Welcome to this week's look at Ukraine's Jewish heritage. Hanukkah starts on the Hebrew calendar date of 25 Kislev and lasts for 8 days. This year on the Gregorian calendar, it starts on November 27 and ends on December 5. Hanukkah is a joyous holiday celebrated every year by Jews around the world with the lighting of candles on the menorah. Traditional Hanukkah treats include hot potato latkes, called also plyatsky or draniki in Ukrainian, and donuts with jam, called pompuhy in Ukrainian. And there are games such as dreidel and Hanukkah geld, which in Hanukkah money or gifts for children. In Soviet times, Judaism could not be practiced freely in Ukraine, so the menorah was impossible to buy. It wasn't even possible to see a menorah in the museums, as it was considered a forbidden religious item. So in those times, Jews made Hanukkah lights out of a half potato with sunflower oil and wicks made out of cotton. Hanukkah, known as the Festival of Dedication, and also the Festival of Lights commemorates the victory of the Maccabees on the Syrians in 165 BCE. The Maccabees wanted Jews to renounce their god and turn to idolatry. Hanukkah also honors the memory of the rededication of the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. The temple had been defiled by the Syrians who, among other things, erected a statue of the idol Zeus in the temple. According to tradition, when the temple was recaptured, only one small vessel of consecrated oil was found, enough for just one day. Miraculously, it sufficed for eight days until new oil could be prepared. The festival was established for this length of time to commemorate this miracle which is also considered a triumph over the oppressive and antagonistic Hellenistic empire. Today, as in years past, to light the candelabra is the essence of celebrating Hanukkah. Each night of the festival, an additional candle is lit until on the last night, eight candles are burning. Each candle has its own special meaning. On the first night, a light of freedom, on the second night a light of tolerance, on the third night a light of peace, on the fourth night a light of courage, on the fifth night a light of knowledge, on the sixth night a light of charity, on the seventh night a light of responsibility, on the eighth night a light of continuity. Today Jews in Ukraine celebrate Hanukkah freely. The Jewish community gathering on Hanukkah demonstrates the triumph of deeply held beliefs in the Almighty over totalitarianism, just as with the first Hanukkah, faith triumphed over idolatry and oppression. On this Hanukkah, we wish each other that we should be blessed with lights and peace in all homes and with peace around the world. 
This is Renata Aninets at the Faina Potrzykowa Scientific Center for Judaica and Jewish Art in Lviv, Ukraine. Until next time, shalom. Thank you, Renata. Shcherodiakuyu. Join us again next week for another episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage here on Nasholus Ukrainian Roots Radio, brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter Initiative.
And that was the Tottest Chick Sisters from Winnipeg from their brand new CD. And we will be speaking with Volodya. We are, um, as I mentioned, having a few little technical difficulties back here. We'll play another song by the Tottest Chick Sisters from their brand new CD.
we are still trying to uh, get a hold of Elodia in Lviv. But meanwhile, I did mention we will have some new tunes. And coming up next is a song by Kozak System. And this is uh, made up speci- specifically for the Euromaidan. <laughs> Слами твердими кроками, хай світло небесне засяє в людям. Хто сам вирішує долю, хто сам приймає рішення. Без блуду, без блуду, без гною, без болю. Життям своїм залишається втішеним. Всі на свого не зійме руку. Брат на брата не скаже свого. Прийме удар, піде на муку. Брат за брата. Рискими, злами, лихими, закрутами Продирається доля крізь хащі Люди закріпні червоними рутами Не втратити тісти свої ні заші Там, де з рідними милими Там, де зі своїми хорошими Власним розумом, власними силами Щастя своє збудувати зможемо Свіна свого не зійме руку Брат на брата не скаже слово Still I'm here with no regrets 
Expats, poets, politicians, still they're scheming immigrants. Places jammed, so many parties, resolutions, egos great. Outcomes turn to Mama Lega, pouring out these clear the way. Oh! 
And that was Canadian composer and singer Nathan Slonielski, who composed that song, Orange Ribbon, specifically, uh, it, not specifically for this uh, protest that's going on in Ukraine, but um, is actually a song that about an event that happened in 20, uh, 2004 during the Orange Re- Revolution, which um, f- really accelerated events there. And uh, we'll be talking to Nathan a little bit later on about his song, and uh, maybe we'll play it again for you. As well, before that, you heard a song called Baraban, and this is a song which means drum in Ukrainian, and it was by another Canadian composer, Stefan Andrusiak, and uh, he wrote the lyrics and basic melody in 2011, but uh, it is... uh, very apropos. It's a bit of a rant and it's an expression of hope. And we just actually got that from Stefan uh, today. So we'll be hopefully speaking with him as well. Later on in the program, we are still having difficulties uh, reaching Ukraine, just getting through on the phone lines. So please bear with us. Thank you for your patience. And we do hope you enjoy the music. And this is Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, a special edition uh, looking at the current events in Ukraine right now. And Nasholos is coming to you on CHLY 101.7 FM, beautiful downtown Nanaimo. My name is Paulette McQuarrie, and uh, we have been speaking with Mirko Petrio, the author and political analyst that I often call on to speak here on um, on Nasholos about things political. Um, unfortunately, we're still, as I mentioned, experiencing technical difficulties in reaching Ukraine. However, uh, as soon as we get our, uh, our phone system back, we will also be speaking with some Canadians. But right now, while we're waiting to get our technical uh, situation sorted out, we will play some music for you. So we do hope you've, you've been enjoying the music. And this is a song from a CD that was released uh, about a year ago or so by a group from Edmonton. And um, this is a circle dance called called the Kolomeka.
My name is Ashta, and you're listening to CHLY 101.7 FM, broadcasting to Canada's west coast from downtown Nanaimo. For 50 years now, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been supporting initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our cultural heritage. To apply for grants, donate, or for more information, call 1-866-524-5314 or visit ShevchenkoFoundation.com. Love me some politics. Tune in to A Sense of Justice, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. Anything goes. Human rights, social justice, and women's issues. And of course, politics on CHLY 101.7 FM. A sense of justice, sense of justice, justice. Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. Won't you come along for the ride? St. Michael's Ukrainian Catholic parishioners invite one and all to Divine Liturgy with Father Theo Mashinsky, 11 a.m. every Saturday at St. Michael's Ukrainian Catholic Church, 4017 Victoria Avenue in Nanaimo. Find out more at 250-754-2646. You know, first place we came was right to Chile. And like we were welcomed, you know, we got the princess welcoming us, made some some coffee right away on the computer, some some nice pictures, beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's a great landing. Chile. 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. If you're interested in preserving or just enjoying Ukrainian culture, check out the Ukrainian-Canadian Cultural Society of Nanaimo. There's dancing, music, food, arts and crafts, and more. To join, call Gina, 250-758-1561.
interrupting this song by Millennia because we finally have resolved our technical difficulties and we have reached Volodya Volkov in Ukraine, in Lviv. Now, this is not where the major protests are taking place, but it is the city where um, Volodya resides. Oh, I don't have Ray, have we got Volodya on the line? Ray's telling me that uh, we have Volodya on the line finally. So uh, let's hear from Volodya in Lviv. He is the project director of our uh, feature Ukrainian Jewish Heritage. Volodya, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm thank- glad to be with you. And thank you so much for joining us. And apologies again for the technical difficulties. I know it's late in Ukraine right now. What time is it there? Oh, it's 10 p.m. 10 p.m., and you've got a little one, so you're (laughs) going to want to be wanting to get to bed. So uh, tell us, uh, you're living in Lviv, and you were the one, actually, you really got lit a fire under me because I was going to just kind of let the mainstream media take care of of this. But you were the one, you you sent me a a very brief email saying, have a look at this, and it... It was absolutely, it was appalling, and I thought, well, I can't just sit back. I have to find out a little bit more and share it with uh, with our listeners. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in Lviv, uh, now how far are you from Kiev? Well, it's about uh, 600 kilometers. Okay, so you're quite a distance, but there are things going on, uh, protests in Lviv now? Well, definitely. Lviv was actually one of the first cities that started Euromaidans or, you know, these protests against the President Yanukovych's refusal to sign the association agreement with the European Union. Right. And it all started in Lviv on November 21st oh. uh, to 22nd. And we started with 30 students. And today uh, uh, we are having protests that uh, reach up to 30,000, 40,000 people. So Lviv, Lviv is definitely one of the most active. The level of participation is uh, extremely high, and it's, uh, I think it's an inspiration to the entire country uh, that uh, you know, keeps this, uh, this revolution going forward. So where are the people demonstrating in Lviv? Well, it's very symbolic. People chose to demonstrate right next to the monument to Taras Shevchenko, hmm. you know, someone who always wanted to have to see Ukraine free from, you know, outside, um, outside pressure. Uh-huh. It actually was very, also very symbolic that uh, in, when students first came to protest in Lviv, there was a court decision, court decision to prohibit gatherings in several uh, key places in Lviv, but uh, it was such a such a fortunate uh, co- um, you know uh, coincidence that when the court passed its decision, there was a mistake in the address, and um, people were uh, and it didn't so it didn't apply to the to the place next to Tereschenko Monument. <laughs> well, that was fortuitous. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And so people had the full right to do it. And then, of course, also our municipal administration were very, are very supportive. And the local police uh, and the special forces are also also supporting the protesters. And in Berkut, you know, there was a very uh, dramatic, uh, violent crackdown at the protesters by Berkut uh, forces in Kiev. But uh, Lviv, uh, Berkut, said they were not going to 
follow the orders to crack down and the protesters to leave. Wow. So, so the police in Ukraine or in Lviv, uh, that Western Ukraine, mm-hmm. are they're defying orders from their bosses to crack down protesters? No, they're not defying, but they just make the statement that they were uh, they are not going to do it, and they they're just uh, they want everybody to follow the rule of law and be peaceful. And if everybody is peaceful, they're not going to do any any such thing, so that people can be quite, uh, you know, quite sure about it and have a peace of mind. Oh. And we is very active in supporting, in supporting what is happening in Kiev, in Kiev right now. Um, what, from what I know from the latest news uh, among, uh, among the protesters is that every day, for the last uh, two to three days, there are 2,000 people leaving from Kiev, from Lviv to Kiev to support uh, the rallies, uh, the rally in Kiev. Sorry, how many? 2,000 people that are going to Kiev every day. Wow. And, and these are people who just leave their jobs, leave their classes, their classrooms? Definitely students are leaving their classrooms, They're sacrificing a lot. They were the major force, and they, and they still are behind, uh, behind these, these protests. They're definitely sacrificing their time, and uh, some of them... Perhaps they're great because they will have a lot of makeup work to do, mm-hmm. but that doesn't, that is not stopping them. And the first week from November 21st until uh, the bloody Saturday, as, as it has become known, on November 30th, uh, the, most, the majority of the protesters, they were students and young people. But now, uh, after this, uh, you know, the, after the violence, uh, now uh, the protesters are different in their age. You know, it's uh, you know the protesters are students, adults, uh, people in retirement. Everybody is now, you know, united by this idea. And also, I would say that you know this, as it has become dubbed uh, the European Revolution, it has had a very strong unifying effect on the country something that probably was not anticipated by the authorities. No, I think authorities, they miscalculated very bad. Uh, They thought that, um, you know, uh, people would just uh, uh, keep quiet and uh, that they would maybe, uh, there would be some discord between people and they would not find a common common language but it has been you know the events have proved to be for it to be otherwise uh, there are the uh, vivas of course Lviv, Ternopil, Ivano-Frankivsk, Lutsk they're all having major protests about 40,000 people but in the west they're also protests in the east there are also protests taking place uh, like in Donetsk, Vinica, Zaporizhia um, Luhansk even, uh, and they have uh, a participation of about 1,000 to 2,000 people. Wow, in the east. And even in Sevastopol, there are about 100 to 200 people who came out to protest. Wow. So um, just for the benefit of of listeners who are tuning in who are not familiar with Ukrainian geography, uh, we are talking areas uh, in the, uh, the, the Crimea, 
and and that is largely um, Russian-speaking area. Um, when I was there, certainly back in 2008, there was very little Ukrainian spoken. Um, as well, the eastern regions, and you're saying in Donetsk and Dnipropetrovsk and places like that, where there, um, ha- there has previously been um, the perception that they want to stick closer to Russia and they don't want to go west, you say they're protesting in favor of going to the European Union. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely it's not... Uh, it's a it's general perception that people are um, uh, oriented more towards Russia in the east, but it's uh, you know the events are showing that it's not the case for everybody in the east, and there are lots of lots of people who are coming out to state their support for the pro pro European uh, direction for Ukraine. So definitely, it's uh, I could I would say it's a misperception now that most people want to go. Uh, are pro-Russian in the East, and this uh, European Revolution is is showing just that. There are some people that are undecided, of course, but um, uh, most uh, people they are really supporting the European, uh, you know, the European direction. But also, there's a lot of fear, of course, of uh, uh, you know of going public with your um, you know with your point of view. Really? Still? In, in 2013, Ukrainians are still afraid to voice their opinion and, and, uh, and, and their position on, pol- on political matters. Yes? Uh, yeah. I would, well, wow. right now, at least, there, is still, still, uh, there still is a lot, of, uh, a lot of fear in the East because, uh, because you know, uh, those uh, politicians, that, those governors and some of the mayors, uh, they are quite, um, they have this Soviet style of leadership, and they try to be very controlling. Uh, so I would definitely say that people, and they are afraid to lose their jobs and uh, are afraid of any, um, even physical, uh, uh, you know, physical retaliation. Wow. So, so this is uh, this is what happened on Bloody Saturday. Can you tell us a little bit more about what transpired on Bloody Saturday? That was November thirtieth. Well, um, was, the violence happened at about four uh, four a.m. on Saturday, very early in the morning, and there was a, uh, there were about uh, before that during the day on Friday there were about hundred to two hundred two hundred to two hundred thousand people in Kiev. Then most of the people went home. Uh, it was quite cold, but some a small group, uh, relatively small, stayed on Maidan Zelazhnosti, the independent square in Kiev. And uh, uh, they were singing songs, just trying to stay warm, when the Barakut uh, security forces showed up, and they said that they have an order to clear the area on Maidan and Zelazhnosti because uh, the Kiev uh, City Council uh, wants to put a Christmas tree there. And so everybody has to clear out the area. They have to, you know, make preparations for the New Year's Eve. Uh, well, they said we're not going anywhere because we have, uh, you know, we want to, to uh, basically express our disapproval of the government right now, uh, and we are going to stay that our right. And uh, and then the, the the forces, the security forces, got quite 
violence with them, starting pushing them, you know, bullying, using, hitting them with sticks, uh, and so on. And uh, people started running. And so what was the worst part was that even uh, the security forces, they attacked women and uh, children, uh, like students, and they would even start, uh, hit people that were lying already on the ground, people that were running away, people that surrendered and said, uh, look, I, uh, okay, okay, I'm I want to I go, I want to leave. They would hit even those. There was also a report that a pregnant woman got hit. Oh. And so those events, you know, if, if it were to happen maybe 10 years ago, the, the, public, uh, would, uh, the public reaction would have been different. Uh, but today, because we have so much technology, internet, social media, everyone has you know, a smartphone, has a camera in his pocket, all of this got filmed very well, and everybody saw everything in detail. There's no way to hide this evidence, no way to go around it, you know? And that's why uh, the public was just furious when they found out. Uh, they, uh, they demanded the government you know, to resign immediately. And so uh, what I would uh, this this bloody Saturday, it really marked a transformation in the protests. And it, they, it turned, it, you know, the protests became a revolution, but also the protests in favor of, uh, of the European integration, they also became a protest against the current government, you know, because it was never... The, uh, uh, the protest started before Viktor Yanukovych went to Vilnius, signed the, the deal, the EU deal, and uh, they were just, they were never against the government, you know. Uh, they were just to say that we want, uh, we want to be in Europe. But after this, this clash in Kiev, the, the protesters clearly, their, the priority for them became the resignation of the government. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's all. And uh, now there were there was violence. Uh, there were beatings. There were f- so far, fortunately, no fatalities. No one has been killed yet. No, no, fortunately, no one has been killed. And uh, but uh, the following day, December first, uh, there were lots of provocations. You know, hmm. um, there were uh, they were using a bulldozer. Uh, there were um, uh, there was a group of radicals of radical-minded people that started using a Molotov cocktail, oh. throwing them at the police forces and the security forces, uh, you know, blowing up some uh, homemade, uh, like, uh, bombs, I would say. Uh, so they were trying to discredit basically the entire uh, protest movement mm-hmm. and give a pretext, uh, give a reason for the authorities so they could use force. And um, also, lots, some of the people uh, got they disappeared, and uh, there, some people are still missing. Oh. I would say 10 to 20 people. Oh. Uh, some people got jailed. But after those, uh, there was those provocations that happened uh, on December 1st, uh, you know, on the bulldozer events. Uh, after uh, after those uh, that demonstration, there were about 100. Uh, 100 people, 160 people that got injured, and uh, 50 journalists that oh. got uh, beaten uh, really hard. Wow. Is there any way that we here in Canada can help you, Volodya? 
Well, I guess uh, it's really helpful for the demonstrators uh, here in Lviv and uh, throughout Ukraine, especially in Kiev, uh, when uh, there are reports uh, coming about the Euromaidans happening all over the world, like uh, in uh, you know uh, right, uh, right in the United States, in Canada, uh, you know France, uh, all over the world there were Euro- small little Euromaidans. Uh, taking place. And tonight I heard a, a report on social media that uh, the highest skyscraper in Warsaw, in Poland, it uh, got lit up in uh, uh, blue and yellow colors, oh, you know, the colors of Ukrainian flag. Oh, isn't that show nice? They are a support with the, Ukraini- with the Ukrainian people. So it's really great when there are small events taking place across, uh, across the world especially in the, the Canadian diaspora, which is such a, you know, such a, always a source of inspiration for the Ukrainian uh, p- uh, people uh, here in Ukraine. Uh, and it's also, there are also, uh, you know, there are also ways to donate uh, money to the protesters. There are various bank accounts uh, for uh, people who use the money to buy food, warm clothes, uh, and medicine. Those mm-hmm. are the three, three most important things that they buy. Is there a Facebook site where uh, people are just coming into this, they're just hearing the, about this for the first time and want to get more information? Is there, uh, would you recommend, I know there are lots of Facebook sites and there's Twitter, all, and, uh, but can you recommend a good place for somebody in the diaspora in, in uh, North America to go and find more information and, and get involved if they want to? Well, it's, hard for, it's hard for me to say whether there is a like a center you could go to in the in the diaspora. For example, if you go on Twitter, you could type "Euro Maidan" and you will find uh, one uh, one or two accounts, Twitter accounts that are called "Euro Maidan," okay. "Euro Maidan," mm-hmm. and uh, they once in uh, like once in a while, I would say they publish information about the bank accounts where the money could go. Also, a good way is to, for example, go to a website of a, for example, a political party, the, uh, the opposition political party, try to get in, to- in touch with their uh, uh, with their managers and ask them uh, of uh, who, where you should, uh, you know, uh, go to uh, give your give help. Also, you could go to Hromatske uh, TV, Hromatske that uh, TV uh, uh, like website, they have a website, mm-hmm. uh, and they would know uh, the contact persons who could re- you know who could uh, give you uh, directions on how to give help. Okay, and the Hromatska TV, that's the new public broadcasting channel. So thank you so much, yep. uh, Volodya. We've been speaking with uh, Volodya Volkov of Lviv, Ukraine. He's a project manager of our Ukrainian Jewish Heritage feature. And uh, we'll be uh, praying for you and, uh, and keeping our fingers crossed. And uh, hope, and there will be this information. I'll put the links and the information that you mentioned, Volodya, on the Nasholis website and also on the CHLY um, uh, Facebook page for people to get involved. Thank you so much for, for joining us, for staying up so late. I appreciate it so so, um, so, um, Dobranich and uh, all the best. Slava Ukraini. And that was Volodya Volkov uh, in Lviv. And you are listening to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM, Radio Malaspina in beautiful downtown Nanaimo.
And that was a song about St. Nicholas, and this is from a CD that just came to Nasholis very recently from Dotcom Recordings in Toronto, Ontario, and it is a collection of Christmas and St. Nicholas songs by the Abuchio Children's Choir, and the CD is called Rizvo i Sviate Mikolai. And there aren't very many um, St. Nicholas songs in our collection, so we're very happy to have that. We'll bring bring you more later. But first of all, um, I'd like to introduce you to somebody who's been on uh, the the Nasholis Airwaves here on CHLY, and uh, she is very um, prominent in the Ukrainian community, a very, very very busy lady, and she instructs uh, the Vesna Ukrainian dancers here in Nanaimo. As well, she is a very um, active organizer for the uh, Ukrainian Cultural Society as well, and this group is putting on their annual Ukrainian Christmas Bazaar this weekend, and the connection is, it's right about St. Nicholas Day on the Gregorian calendar anyways. So, um, Leanne uh, Ingham is uh, the lady I'm, talk- I'm speaking about, and will be speaking to shortly. So, welcome uh, Welcome, Leanne, to Nasholis. Hi, thank you very much. Now, um, the Christmas Bazaar is something that has been going on for quite a while. Yes, I'm not quite sure how many years it's been on, but yeah, this is our major, one of our major fundraisers for the year. Mm-hmm. And so we like to promote it as best we can, of course. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, in, you're working with the Cultural Society as well as Visna Ukrainian Dancers? Correct. And so uh, where and when is it uh, taking place? Okay, so that's Saturday, December 7th at the St. Michael's Ukrainian Parish Hall, which is on uh, 4017 Victoria Avenue, which is just off Norwell Drive, and it goes from 10 a.m. till 2 p.m. Okay, so what is uh, going to be taking place? Oh, various things. We, of course, have our frozen pierogies that we sell, which uh, goes like fairly fast, so if you want to come, you come early and get them. And then we have Bosch for sale. Um, we have our baking table with all the goodies that you'd ever want for Christmas. Um, Sandy's Kitchen is going to be there with her cabbage rolls and some other goodies. Um, we have a concession going where you can come and have lunch. You can have a smoky, some hot pierogies we're actually serving this year, wow. um, some hot borscht. Uh, there's going to be desserts you can buy from there. So uh, it's just a big smorgasbord of stuff, and we have a couple other vendors coming um, that's going to have Ukrainian novelties and such that you can buy as well for Christmas. And I'm seeing uh, in your announcement you've got a raffle as well. Yes, we do. We got uh, one, some wonderful donators from across Nanaimo, an area <clears throat> excuse me, that have donated prizes, and we've made them into two big gift baskets, and they're worth over about $1,000 altogether. Mm. And then our third prize is going to be 20 dozen pierogies. Oh, I think that's kind of worth. Uh, probably most people consider that <laughs> worth a thousand. So you you heard you heard Ray, our technician in the background, yes. going in, in raptures here. <laughs> yeah, over your and tickets are really cheap. They're like two bucks for three tickets. So, uh, and you know, there we sold about half already, but there will definitely be lots at the door to to buy as well. Okay, and of course, there's no admission. It's it's no, just... it's all free. Okay, so tell us uh, once again where the uh, bazaar is going to be taking place. It's at St. Michael's Ukrainian Parish Hall at 4017 Victoria Avenue, which is just off Norwell Drive. Uh, There will be signs on the highways to point you in the right direction as well. 
um, and uh, we're open from 10 a.m. till 2 p.m. Okay, and of course that is in Nanaimo. It is. Okay, so thank you so much, Leanne, for uh, giving us this uh, heads up. And no good, problem. Good luck with the bazaar. I'll see you there. I'll be there. Um, I don't know, what am I doing? You have me booked for something, boiling I have you something. working your little fingers <laughs> off. There's no problem with that. Okay. We appreciate the help. <laughs> All right, so uh, again, that was uh, the Ukrainian Christmas Bazaar hosted by the Ukrainian Canadian Cultural Society of Nanaimo and the Visna Ukrainian Dancers. And that is Saint, at St. Michael's Ukrainian Parish Hall, 4017 Victoria Avenue in Nanaimo this Saturday from 10 to 2 p.m. Thanks so much, uh, Leanne, for, uh, for joining us, and we'll see you on Saturday. Thanks for letting me call in. Okay. All right. Good afternoon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. And that was Leanne Ingham with the Visna Ukrainian Dancers and the Ukrainian Cultural Society of Nanaimo. Up next is another St. Nicholas song from this brand new CD that we received. And it is um, called, it is a traditional Ukrainian um, St. Nicholas song. Oi Tokto Mikolaya Lublit. And that translates as Who Loves St. Nicholas?
Susida from Ukraine, and this is a CD that I picked up oh, back in, t- um, actually, no, it was in 2008, it was last year, and uh, this is a collection of Ukrainian uh, folk songs, of course. That song, Kalena, is a traditional Ukrainian folk song. Kalena, of course, is a word that means cranberry, and that is uh, kind of the national tree of Ukraine. Now, we are in the process of lining up two uh, speakers from Ukraine, uh, two analysts. And uh, this is Eugene Libovitsky, and uh, he is a former news anchor on One Plus One TV channel in Ukraine, as well as Channel 5. And he is now one of the uh, main people, and he's a, a co-founder of Hromadska TV, who you heard uh, Volodya mention earlier. And uh, Hromadska TV means community. And so this is a public broadcasting channel in Ukraine, something that is new to Ukraine, uh, certainly very much needed. So we'll be looking forward to getting, we're just trying to get connected with him. We do have Mikhailo Vinitsky on the line, and he's just waiting for us to get um, connected with Yevhan. And uh, Mikhailo, or Michael, grew up in Waterloo, Ontario. He has a PhD from Cambridge, and he's with the Kiev Mahila Business School, where he works as the director of PhD programs. Um, uh, Mikhailo has uh, been blogging uh, quite extensively um, on the situation. He has uh, brought forth several um, different uh, uh, aspects of it that you won't be hearing in the mainstream media. Now, um, we're just still um, just about there with uh, with the telephone connection. So, um, Ray, are we close? Okay, Ray is nodding. Ray Kornberger, thank you very much for being the technical assistant here. Uh, with uh, I certainly wouldn't uh, be able to do it without without her. So Ray has just given me a thumbs up. We have Yevhan on the line, um, and we have Mikhailo on the line. Um, both of you, uh, Yevhan, Mikhailo, vitayu. They're, they were there. 
Yeah, we're here. We're here. Oh, you're here. Awesome. We're okay. here. It's just I can barely, barely hear you. I apologize. Yeah. I didn't hear the question. Okay. No, no question yet. I just, I just said, Vitaya, this is Pavita. Thank you so much for joining us here on Nasholas. Well, thanks right. for having me. Okay. Now, which one of you is Yevhan? Which one's Mikhailo? I'm Yevhan. Okay. And, and I'm Mikhailo. Okay. Now, um, the, uh, the two of you uh, had suggested, or, or one of you had suggested, that, that the two of you come on because I think you had some uh, something that you perhaps were, were thinking that the two of you could uh, could impart together. You, have you been working together or communicating, and was there some kind of a message that you wanted, or do you just know each other so well and, and want to discuss this through a broadcaster? <laughs> Well, we kind of do know each other correlatively well, but um, I think we've come to our careers in very different ways. Um, Johan, as I understand it, is a professional journalist. Uh, I'm not. I'm a. Um, uh, I'm, I, I'm more of an academic. Uh, both of us have had spent some time on um, in, in journalism. Um, Johan probably more than I have, um, because I was just a commentator from uh, from an academic standpoint, whereas Johan has been a comment or a, uh, a, a, a. Well, actually, Johan can tell about can can say. Yeah, I, w- I was I was in media for 12 years, and then uh, seven years ago I quit media and I went into uh, think tank. Uh, and uh, I've been I've been doing some research on uh, the values of Ukrainians. Oh, and is that published anywhere? Uh, some of the stuff is published. Some of that stuff is being published. But uh, actually, the last couple of years, I've been working on uh, putting together a group, multidisciplinary group of experts who are actually trying to look ahead uh, with, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ahead and see where Ukraine can go. Well, it sounds like you're far ahead of your political leaders in charge of the country as far as your thinking goes. That's a very Ukrainian situation. <laughs> so um, in case you're not aware of uh, what Nash Holos is, um, we're broadcasting on uh, Campus Community Radio in um, Nanaimo, British Columbia, which I don't know if you're familiar with Canadian geography. Mikhail, you might be. You're, you're Canadian. Yes, so, I'm, uh, I, I was actually born in Canada. I, I can't say that I've actually been to Nanaimo, so I apologize. Uh, to all the Westerners that are that are um, that are listening to us, I'm originally from a little place called Kitchener, which is about 120 kilometers west of Toronto. I'm an Easterner, uh, but I've been living in Kiev, and, and and Ukraine is now home for me for the last 12 years. Wow! And I know that Vancouver is in the same latitude as Lviv, so that makes us quite close. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I guess you know I, I do want to speak with uh, with you, Yevhen, about Hromadska TV because that is very exciting to me. When um, I, I first saw that, I was just surfing around on the internet and I saw Hromadska TV. That's community. That's a community channel. And then I look closer, and it is public broadcasting. Yeah, it's, it took quite a lot of effort to get it running, and uh, it still will take a lot of effort to make it sustainable. So, tell us about the the evolution of it. Well, you see, the the core the core team that actually was uh, behind public TV, Hromatsky TV, uh, is the same team that uh, put together Channel Five before the Orange Revolution. Mm-hmm. And Channel Five uh, was actually the voice of the Orange Revolution, but uh, at that time we didn't have the neither the public support nor the uh, international support to launch a TV station, and at that time equipment uh, would cost much more than right now because of technological change, and 
So basically, we had to make a deal, strike a deal with uh, the nicest of the oligarchs <laughs> at that time. And so we knew that it's not going to be a long-term successful mm -hmm. deal. Mm -hmm. But Channel 5 played its role. Uh, now, nine years after, we, we, we decided that we are ready for a second try, and so far it's successful. Wow, so you made a deal with the devil as an interim measure, and now you have your own public radio or public broadcasting. Oh, come on, I'm going I'm <laughs> I'm to jump in here because okay. Poroshenko is far from being the devil. Oh, okay, so okay. I, I realize that, um, that, that your hen's relationship with him may be a little bit different than mine, um, but I, I, I teach in a business school, and I have, um, I have a lot of respect for what uh, that particular, as, as your hen calls him, oligarch, um, I, I, I have a problem with that term in, in his particular case, but I, I have a lot of respect for the way he runs his businesses and the way he's and the way he treats his people, and most importantly, um, his his patriotic stance, particularly as has been shown over the last couple of days, uh, with the current revolution that's on, ongoing in Kiev. Now he this Poroshenko. Well, sorry, go ahead. I'll take the benefit of not commenting that. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, agree to disagree. Well, okay. <laughs> Let's well, go, let's, you know, modus vivendi is, is the thing that you have to apply in Ukraine if you want to be successful. Sorry, what was that? Modus vivendi is a usual thing one has to apply in Ukraine if you want to be successful. <laughs> modus vivendi, very good. <laughs> now, um, just as um, an aside, Mikhailo Poroshenko, you were saying, is, is not really as bad, uh, he's not really a bad guy, he's just kind of doing what he has to do to, to keep afloat in the rather toxic business environment in Ukraine. Uh, so what is, uh, what is he doing? Is he still, does he still have Channel 5, and is it still broadcasting? Yes, Channel 5 is definitely broadcasting. Um, Channel 5 clearly is not, I mean, it's, it's not as active uh, in the current events as it was in the Orange Revolution, and, and uh, I would say that that has less to do probably with the ownership uh, than with the team that now works at Channel 5, because, um, I mean, Johan at one point, um, as he put it, struck a deal with the devil to get some money, but nevertheless put together at Channel 5 nine years ago uh, really a dream team of journalists, uh, many of those people have gone on to do many other things, including uh, one of the key people is now a, um, uh, in Parliament as an opposition mm -hmm. deputy, Governor Vincent Shuchanko. Um, so, I mean, it clearly uh, channels are, and, 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 and media are made uh, first and foremost by professional journalists, and the team that was there in 2004 is, is incomparable to the team that's there today, and I as a viewer can certainly say that. But at the same time, we have a lot more to choose from in Ukraine uh, when it comes to media, which is very good, uh, including Internet media, which is uh, which I think we've, we've come full circle to. It's, I think it's very important that um, current events are actually being followed first and foremost on the Internet uh, and then uh, on, on TV. I've actually got Channel 24 um, uh, turned on in front of me at the moment, and that's probably my main, main source of TV news, uh, and then that's followed up certainly by... Um, by uh, internet stuff. Now, um, I have a, a question about that. I was uh, speaking with a local uh, political analyst, and uh, he said when he was uh, checking on the internet and all the different news channels and sources, that there still was some censorship going on uh, with the the major media outlets in Ukraine, and they were resorting to the old Soviet uh, 
technique of playing Swan Lake when uh, instead of covering protests um, is that how can they do that still and get away with that now that everyone has a cell phone even you know people the poorest people have cell phones and they've, so they've got internet uh, are they still doing this and why <laughs> well because Ukraine doesn't have uh, freedom of speech you has Ukraine has pluralism of dependencies which makes Ukraine way more advanced than uh, other former Soviet countries where pluralism is unachievable in most of the cases, but it's still pluralism of dependencies. And uh, where I would uh, uh, probably, I would probably agree that Channel 5 is, is still one of the better channels on the Ukrainian market. But the reason why the Dream Team didn't stay on Channel 5 is exactly the, owner, the ownership issue. Hmm. You know, uh, the, the problem is that Ukraine is a bottom-up country uh, where the major decisions are taken on, at grassroots, uh, that means that leadership in Ukraine must be basically a service, uh, whereas the Ukrainian leaders, including the oligarchs, including the owners of big businesses that were privatized, are trying to run the country in a very despotic way. So leadership, in their understanding, is not uh, serving, but actually... Uh, you know, taking the decisions for others without letting those others have a say. And that affects, uh, as a matter of fact, the media situation, situation with democracy, situation with private entrepreneurship and everything else. I mean, obviously, the media is having an effect on the people because it's mobilizing uh, Ukrainians. Uh, they seem to be losing their fear and, and inhibitions. But what about the leadership? Uh, what about the leadership? You hence brought up an interesting point in that, that um, Ukraine, I, I think my interpretation of what he said was that, that Ukrainians are culturally disposed to being a sort of a bottom-up um, kind of society, mm -hmm. which is probably pretty true. I mean, it, it's, it's, um, this is a country that has a tradition of being, um, and, and this is a historical tradition, if you like, of, of very long-term periods of stability um, and a lot of patience from, from society. And then and then things quite suddenly sort of blow up, and, and there's uprisings. And now the uprisings are generally sort of um, to, to, to they, they generally tend to be against rulers. Um, and I think that, that if you bring that on to sort of the way that companies are run and the way media is run, and the, the, I think it's a sort of a, those are microcosms of, of the way society uh, uh, operates here. Um, for it, it's, it's quite democratic, some would actually say, and in a lot of cases... Um, perhaps a little bit anarchic, um, but at the same time, there are there are leaders that try to put a little order onto that, and that order very often gets interpreted as being authoritarianism. Uh, in this particular case, uh, in the political sphere, clearly the authoritarianism has gone way too far, mm -hmm. and the calls on the streets are for um, for a change of leadership, and those that change of leadership call that that if you like that revolutionary sort of flywheel is, um, is, is gaining in, in intensity. Uh, so I think we're in for a standoff that's going to last for a very, very long time yet. Mm. Mikhail Wanitsky and Yevhen Hlibovsky are, Hlibovetsky, pardon me, are our guests, and they will be back. We do need to take a break for uh, some messages uh, at the top of the hour, uh, but Mikhail, Yevhen, please stay on the line. We'll be back to continue this conversation in two minutes. This is Corwin Miller, and you're listening to CHLY, broadcasting to Canada's West Coast on 101.7 and around the world at chly.ca. 
And this is Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio Special Edition covering the protests in Ukraine on CHLY 101.7 FM. I'm Pavlina Demchuk-McQuarrie, your host, and our guests right now are Mikhailo Vinitsky and Yevhen Hlebovitsky in Ukraine. Welcome back, Yevhen and Mikhailo. Now, uh, just before we took our break, Mikhailo, you were saying that you felt that this was a standoff that was going to be quite a while, but yet um, I've been reading some of your blog reports, and you mentioned that uh, Yuri Lutsenko, one of the leaders of the Kurd opposition movement, predicted a five-day revolution, but it's, I think we're beyond five now, aren't we? No, we're not. Um, look, this is when it comes to timelines, this is when things get a little bit iffy. Um, we are actually on day four of the revolution. Okay. Uh, I think that's important for us to understand, because what was happening prior to Saturday, prior to Saturday morning, 4 o'clock Kings Pines, this was a very different country. Um, this was a country that had a small group of protesters, primarily students, young people, that were brought together by Facebook and Twitter, and were kind of romantically, I guess, protesting against the fact that, you know, the, the government had stopped... Uh, European integration, and Yanukovych was sort of, they had st- they, they, there was still some hope that he would actually sign in Vilnius, and if you look at my first blog, I was actually betting the fact that, you know, he would actually sign, and I was being optimistic, and there was a bunch of people, primarily, like I said, primarily students uh, on Independence Square, um, it was a sort of a festive carnival kind of atti- at, um, atmosphere, and then on Saturday morning at 4 o'clock in the morning, for the first time in Ukraine's independent history, there was blood on the streets of Kiev because the riot police decided that um, it was time to clear out the demonstration, even though the demonstrators were actually dissipating on their own. There was only about three or 400 of them left, and, and the deal was that everybody was basically packing that on Sunday would be the last demonstration, the last protest, and everybody was, was sort of had agreed that, that we were disbanding. And then suddenly the riot police came in and, 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 and beat people, and beat people, quite frankly, savagely. Wow. And then on Saturday, it was a bit of a state of shock, uh, because those people that were able to um, get away from the riot police, the Berkut, actually took refuge in Mikhailovsky Sobor, which is a church um, that actually was built or rebuilt. It was, it was destroyed by Stalin, and it was rebuilt uh, with, uh, uh, with Canadian and uh, American diaspora funds. And there's a monastery there now. And they took refuge in that monastery. And there's a lot of really uh, sort of, I guess, well, uh, heartening kind of pictures of of people basically um, hiding behind gates and sleeping on the floor of a church. By Sunday, uh, Ukraine got angry. And that Sunday, we had a half a million people on the streets. And that was when the real revolution started. That was last Sunday. Sunday evening, there was a lot of provocateurs. Um, there was an attempt to create more violence. Clearly, that was done for the cameras. Uh, clearly, that was done in, in, in order to try to have the protesters blamed uh, for the violence, which, in fact, was, was completely... I mean, the, the, the demonstrations have been completely peaceful. The violence have all, has all come from the regime side. But, uh, nevertheless, the point is that on Sunday, Ukraine changed because half a million people on the streets, they were not protesting for Europe anymore. This, this whole thing is not about Europe anymore. It's not about European integration. Hmm. It's about um, regime violence, and it's about a regime that, quite frankly, has gotten so far away from its people and has absolutely no regard for human life, and, and people are basically saying that they don't want to live that way. Wow. 
Now, this is very different from 2004. There, there, yes. Was, uh, how, in your view, what do you see as the most significant differences? Well, the, you see, 2004 was, uh, I would say, a simplified version of um, Fight for Democracy because basically it, it came down to uh, uh, fighting for Yushchenko, for, for the person that uh, had to win, in the opinion of the protesters, uh, but not for democracy as a set of rules. Uh, what happened with the Ukrainian society in these last 10 years is that it grew up to understand that rules are more important than personalities. And this is, this Maidan is about, uh, rule, is about the rules that we will live along with. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that I, I'll agree with the statement that it's about rules. Um, I, I think that's, that, that is true. Uh, but I think that the main difference with what I'm seeing, and this is something that perhaps um, perhaps it will change over time, but in 2004, first of all, it was extremely well organized. Uh, we have to understand that there was a, a, a very well organized, well funded political machine that um, had planned the protests well in advance because it was quite understood um, prior to the vote in the presidential elections that there would be falsifications. And, um, I mean, as a participant in that whole thing, then in 2004, it was very obvious that, that well, it wasn't obvious to, to me at the time, uh, but it's become obvious over time that, um, that there was a lot of things that were extremely well planned and quite well, uh, quite well organized by, by, by political machines. This time it's not well organized. And the difference also is that then it was, um, yeah, people were angered by falsifications, but they were protesting in favor of. So it was a sort of a, pro- a positive protest. People were, 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 there was constantly positive messages put out onto the crowds. Um, today, the message is, it's very difficult to make a positive message when the reason that people are protesting is because they don't want their kids to be killed. Hmm. Um, and they don't want violence, and they don't want, and they want to live in a way where you can actually walk up to a policeman and possibly ask for directions and not worry about the fact that he's going to either rob you blind or beat you to death. That's what this protest is about. Hmm. Um, we've had some run-ups to this protest, and that's been, we've had a, a savage rape of a woman in a, a little village in southern Ukraine called Vradivka, uh in Mykolaivsk Oblast, where she was raped by three police officers. Oh. And the village people basically um, came out and, and, and stormed the local uh, the local government administrative building, and including the police station. Um, in other words, there's been some foreshadowing to all of this, and, and this is not an isolated event when it comes to police brutality. Hmm. Um, so this is very much a revolution against. Uh, 2004 was a big party, uh, hmm. and yeah, it was dangerous. Yeah, there was a lot of tension, but in comparison, um, you know, that was kind of Woodstocky. Uh, <laughs> this one's this one's. This one's not. This one's not about you know getting out on the streets and singing songs. Mm. Um, at the same time, there's some very positive things that are coming out of it, and I think that it's also a lot got a lot to do with patriotism. I don't think I've ever sang the Ukrainian hymn. This you know, "Shtenim Narvo Ukraina" is the is the hymn in Ukraine. I don't think I've ever sang it as as often mm. in my life. Um, mm. You sing it on the hour when you're standing on Independence Square, mm. so it's it's kind of a, a way of, of of gathering people together. But that's nevertheless not a positive thing necessarily. It's, um, mm. it's still very much a, a, a protest against the regime. Well, it sounds to me like that... Oh, sorry, Yevhen, go ahead. 
Yeah, I, I would I would also add that this that it has some specifics that are not usual for the developed world. For instance, in Ukraine, the fault line lies between the civil society and the entire political elite. So I would say that the uh, both the government and the opposition are quite foreign to uh, quite strange to the civil society, and this is an uprising of the civil society, and this is why it's so unorganized chaotic at mm. first in the beginning and that's why it's so difficult to actually get the things um, going and spinning mm. uh, but um, what we what we feel is the gap because the politicians basically are lagging behind they don't really understand what's happening in the society mm. and, and this is why uh, the political opposition uh, doesn't find it easy to capitalize on these process protests it sounds to me like um, since 2004, Ukrainians uh, as a society have, have grown up a little bit, have, you know, have had their rose-colored cl- glasses shattered a little bit and are now facing the reality and taking the bull by the, by the horns and, and matters into their own hands. Well, this is exactly the field. Yeah, this is exactly the Go ahead. One of you talk. <laughs> yeah, 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 go ahead. Or I will. <laughs> uh, well, I, I was going to just say that, that uh, the rose-colored glasses are certainly off. Um, there is definitely a, a, um, uh, a cleavage or a tension between, massive tension between people and uh, politicians, which is what you had mentioned. I would mention one other thing. Uh, nine years has gone by, and the people that are the core protesters this year, or this time, if you like, uh, never lived in the Soviet Union. They were hmm. born after the Soviet Union fell apart. Hmm. There's a generational change, mm-hmm. and that, I think, is a very important thing as well. Because mm-hmm. in 2004, uh, the core protesters um, still had a memory of the Soviet Union, and many of them actually sort of spent at least their formative years uh, in high school, let's say, um, in, in, in the Soviet period. Uh, that's not true today. Uh, so, uh, and, and that's, it's actually interesting because there are people that, that quite frankly, the students are, and some of the, some of the protesters are looking to, to, for guidance. Um, in other words, the, the, uh, I'm not sure that I would call them the older generation because Yuri mm-hmm. Lutenko, for example, is just a little older than me, he's 45. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's actually reluctant to provide that guidance because he sees that it's a it's a different kind of revolution. It's a different kind of, of thing that um and, and I think that, that there's a lot of that that people are to some extent he's he's not providing guidance at the same time the young people don't particularly want the guidance mm-hmm. because youthful exuberance is, is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, look, if you want to compare what's going on right now to anything, don't compare it to two thousand four. The closest comparison is Tahrir Square in Egypt, hmm. uh, in Cairo. Um, it's things like what I, I God forbid, but it's it's Libya. It hmm. could be Syria, um, and the, wow. the, the clearly the, um, the the best the best outcome would be it's, it's like a Tunisia. Um, what we're seeing is kind of an Arab Spring in very very different. Uh, mind you, weather mm. conditions. Um, but <laughs> Ukrainian winter. I, w- I would, I would also be. say that it has something from the Occupy movement. Uh, and uh, you see w- what's been happening over the last 10 years were different things. Like, for instance, uh, Ukraine had unprecedented economic growth between 1998 and 2008. And then uh, very deep uh, um, impact of the financial crisis. Ukrainian GDP shrunk 14% in 2009. And then uh, 
uh, Yanukovych, uh, who made uh, the political life quite rough, uh, all these factors, though were aiming in different directions, actually contributed to one uh, thing, which was maturing of the civil society and uh, maturing of the middle class. And uh, even though the vectors were different, it all contributed to the same thing. And this is uh, the outcome that we see right now. Middle class is strong. There are young people who are joining the street. These young people uh, have different values than the people who lived under the Soviet uh, Union and remember Soviet Union. And uh, this is definitely a shift. This is a very serious change. Yeah, that's interesting because it's, it speaks to something that, uh, Mikhailo, that you had written in um, one of your posts, uh, I think it was the one on optics, is um, that Yanukovych has been going on and on explaining his position in, in terms of the economy, but people aren't interested in money. They're more interested in values, I think was how you put it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, this, is, this is, again, the cleavage between the people and the, um, and, and the politicos. Because um, the, the, the politicos are, are convinced that it's, and first of all, we have to realize that the, the politicians that are in power at, this, at, in, at the moment, and Yanukovych and, and, his, and his entourage, are generally from one particular area of the country called the Donbass. It's a very materialistic kind of area, which is, um, I mean, it's industrialized, it's, it's heavily industrialized, coal mines and, and metallurgy and that sort of thing. And their their discourses are about money, and their discourses about jobs, and their discourses about um, you know sort of quality of life uh, in very very material terms. Uh, and that's uh, clearly, I mean, obviously, eco- economics is important to everybody, um, particularly if you want to live. Uh, but mm-hmm. there are also other things that are important, and this is the thing that you had mentioned about middle class values. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the people that are protesting don't have ambitions. To be rich, they have ambitions to build careers. That's a, that's a very different discourse. Um, building a career is about self-actualization and self-realization. And yeah, money is a part of it, um, but it's not about money. Whereas the the um, and and I think that's why that's why the European values uh, or the European, if you like, uh, lighthouse is so attractive to these people because. Uh, Europe lives that way. Europe is about values. Europe is about careers. Europe is about um, a, a lifestyle and, and a social safety net and uh, an educational quality and that sort of thing. And those are the things that are important to, to people today, which is something that the people in power have absolutely no notion of. And unfortunately, I would agree with um, with Johan in that I, I think that the opposition politicians also don't understand that. Uh, or perhaps they do understand it, but um, or they understand it a little better than those that are in power today, but they certainly don't uh, come from the same value set as the young people that started this whole um, this whole issue. Do you think there's any hope for for the um, people in power, people aspiring to power, to to finally for that message to get through to them? Um, look, uh, this is one of these cases where if you asked me an hour ago, I'd probably give you a different <laughs> a different uh, different answer. Uh, things are changing very, very rapidly on the ground, um, and my, my emotions are going from, from radical optimism to radical pessimism. Uh, when, I make, um, when I make parallels to, to Tunisia, then I'm optimistic because that's where we had a, a transfer of power that was relatively peaceful. And when I start going into my Libya concept, then it gets really, really rough. That means I'm being very pessimistic. Mm-hmm. I don't see Yunukovic giving up power um, uh, peacefully, unfortunately, I don't see Yanukovych and his and his band of thugs um, giving up power without a fight, uh, and I don't see the protesters disbanding anytime soon. Uh, 
And I don't see them being particularly violent because the whole idea of peaceful protest is something that's very, very core to the to the current um, Maidan, hmm. um, and it's a core value of, of Ukrainians, I think, in general. Hmm. So this is going to be a standoff that's going to last for a long, long time to come. I had a, somebody that, that dropped me a, a line on Facebook the other day asking if, if this would be over by Christmas, and I hmm. said my answer was, um, I really hope it's over by Easter. Hmm. Hmm. I, I, I would just add to that that uh, I think we're going to be fine unless there is really a violent scenario and any serious violent scenario probably would involve uh, a third country and mainly we're talking about Russia. Uh, so, you know, unless it's, it gets violent, uh, it will be all right. Well, as they say, we live in interesting times. I hope that um, everything will work out well for you in Ukraine. Thank you so much, Mikhailo and Yevhen, for joining us and sharing your insights. Uh, this is a lot of what you've mentioned has not been um, has been really. Um, you know, reported in the media, there's not been much analysis, and um, so it was. It's very good to hear your perspective uh, from you know living there, and and experiencing Ukraine, uh, the protests in, in Ukraine. Thanks for having us, and um, I, I I just want to make a final point, if mm-hmm. I may. I'm, mm-hmm. I've actually been flipping through the channels once in a while, watching CNN, BBC. Unfortunately, I don't get access to CBC here except through the internet. Um, I'm disappointed that um, these issues, which are quite frankly earth-shattering in my opinion, are not getting enough coverage in the Western press. Ah, yes. So, um, if you have any, if, if if Ukrainians or others in Canada, if Canadians in general, um, have any kind of influence on uh, on, on on your reporters, uh, it might be a good idea to uh, to get some more people here on the ground, because quite frankly, uh, we need it. I'm joining Mikhailo on this one. Awesome. Well, you know what? That's um, that, that's very very much shared by Canadians as well. So, what you know? What, is there something that we can do? You said you know somehow exert influence, but there's only so much that we can do with our colleagues. And you know, we're here in uh, you know in community radio, much like you, Yevhen Hromadske, uh radio. And so, I, I guess for lack of anything more descriptive, they don't listen to us. So, um, do you have any any other ideas what we can do? Uh, look, I think, it, in my opinion, the, the important thing is that, that um, to get information out. Uh, Yanukovych is a person that, you know, sorry, uh, not just Yanukovych, I'll, I'll make a generalization. Authoritarian rulers uh, are afraid of two things. Uh, internal dissent that can challenge their power and challenges to their external reputations. Uh, and I think that uh, clearly, clearly this has to be an issue that's resolved internally within the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, external pressure uh, can be and can be very effective. And that external pressure is basically a reputational kind of pressure. So, the more mm-hmm. reporting that we have from Kiev, the more and other cities, not just Kiev, but um, the, the, the better. I get really annoyed when I see a report about Kiev on CNN. Uh, being broadcast from a reporter from Moscow. I mean, oh, that just yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense. Drives it's us like crazy, too. reporting on issues that have to do with Canadian politics from Washington. Exactly. It really doesn't make a lot of sense to do mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, I mean, that's a whole other issue that we have here in the diaspora is to, to educate the uh, North American media as well, and that, that's a whole other ball of wax. Uh, but, but for now, I guess it, it certainly wouldn't hurt to keep the, uh, the, keep the Facebook posts and the, twi- the tweets flying and uh, pictures and, 
and uh, anybody, I suppose, any Canadians that uh, have a hankering to go to Ukraine, this would be a good time, taking Christmas as well, I suppose. <laughs> but, uh, but also... Well, I will say yeah. that I met with, uh, I was at a reception today, Foreign Minister Baird uh, is, is in the country at the moment. Um, he made some statements today that uh, we're, we're very supportive of democracy building. Clearly, as a diplomat, he can't be as, uh, as open in his support as we would like him to be. But nevertheless, the fact that the Canadian foreign minister is here, uh, the German foreign minister is here also, the Swedish and the Norwegian, they're here for an OECD meeting. Many of the foreign ministers actually canceled their trips because of, uh, because of what's going on. Oh. But Canada actually did, uh, did, did something that, that I think is interesting, and that is um, they're trying to engage both the protesters and the, Canadian, and the Ukrainian government, um, and they are giving a message uh, to the, the protesters, which is one of moral support, and to the government, they're basically saying, look, um, you need to do something about this. And the fact that the president happens to be on a, quote, business trip to China at the moment, mm-hmm. when he's got 40,000 people protesting in his, in, in, in his capital, maybe that's not the greatest of management decisions to be made. Indeed. Indeed. Um, well, we're all following this very closely, Mikhailo. Can you tell us uh, where we can find information, how people can follow you with your, um, with your blog post, because they're very uh, enlightening. Thank you. Um, well, I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this informally. I'm, I'm posting on Facebook, uh, but I also have some people that are kind enough to repost for me, uh, because I'm sending this out as an email. Um, the first thing is that uh, Dominique Arell from the University of Ottawa has something called the UKL, which is the Ukraine list, um, which is, is reactivated now with current events. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, you can um, Dominique Aral is the chair of Ukrainian studies at the University of Ottawa, and you can find him on his website and, and ask to be included to that email list. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andy Holowati, who is uh, from Toronto, has set up a, a website for uh, English language media about Ukraine, but unfortunately, I don't remember the URL. Well, you know what? That, posting things that, well, uh, that's okay. I mean, find that. no worries. Um, actually, you know, we can con- uh, we can continue stay in touch after the show, and uh, we can put that on the uh, the website. Unfortunately, our time is uh, pretty much run out. So, thank you once again so much for joining us for sharing uh, this insight behind the scenes, and uh, we will stay in touch, and you stay safe, both of you. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Dobranich. And we were speaking with Mikhailo Vinitsky and Yevhen Hlebovitsky from Ukraine regarding the protests in Ukraine and uh, interesting things that are um, coming about as a result. And you are listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM. We are just about at the end of our special broadcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I do hope that you found this information uh, illuminating and interesting. And if you'd like to get uh, more information, if you'd like to get involved, uh, please stay in touch with me. Uh, go to the Nash Holos uh, Facebook page and uh, follow me on Twitter and uh, uh, make sure that you get connected and get the information that you need. So on behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and CHLY 101.7 FM, with special thanks to Ray Kornberger, uh, Nick Holt, Devin Smurl, and Ashta Cormier for their technical assistance. And until next time, Dopabachinya. Stay.
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.